0: Welcome, I'm Kevin Miller, and this podcast is called Self-Helpful, because not all self-help is helpful. I'm your curator, critic, and translator of the best and brightest minds in the self-help world today. How to truly rest and fully recharge your mind. We are at an all-time high of mental health being a mainstream topic. My experience is people are either fairly tuned into it or they don't just have much thought towards it at all, similar to spirituality. And in neglecting to audit and tend to our individual mental health and state of mind, we're missing out on key aspects of our performance. I know I have, and it's a constant challenge to make it a priority instead of just pushing ahead and doing what we do culturally we stay so busy we have very little margin and downtime if any in our day-to-day lives and we think getting a brain break with entertainment or exercise or sleep is enough but we're seeing that this is more like being on a long road trip and stopping for five to ten minutes at a rest area it's a little break for the engine but not hardly enough to even cool it down what most of us need is more than that we need a daily tune-up mentally not just To let the engine cool off, but to get fresh fluids, check for leaks, make sure the tires are rotated and balanced and aired up. And this is what meditation offers. And I hope that you have heard enough on meditation to know that that is not just the old school cross your legs, hoodoo guru type thing. It's just stopping and trying to empty your mind or at least focus your mind and give it a break. And let me start by admitting this is possibly my least favorite health and wellness effort. I'd honestly rather fast from food than stop and think without any external input. I can even sit out in the woods and look around, but it's really hard to stop my mind. So we've brought in a guest to talk about this, Ariel Garten. Ariel is a neuroscientist, innovator, and entrepreneur. She's on a mission to help people understand how the mind works and empower them to live their best lives through meditation. She's the co-founder and visionary of a highly successful... Tech company called Muse, M U S E. It's actually a device you wear in your forehead. It tracks your brain during meditation to give you real time feedback, guiding you into true rest and letting you know when you are actively allowing your mind to recover. Muse is a multi sensor meditation device. Again, it's a, a, like a headband that syncs with an app on your phone and provides real time feedback on your brain activity, your heart rate, breathing, body movements, and helps build a consistent meditation practice that makes sense i use the desert mode and as i try to rest it tells me how i'm doing like the level of activity in my mind by the level of the wind as i that's in the it's in the app that i hear as i slow down and settle my mind i hear the telltale birds chirping the app monitors my progress uh, and day to day i can see my cumulative results and progress it's really ingenious it takes a guesswork out of wondering if you really have your mind at rest and this episode is about the benefits of resting your mind and being present not necessarily just the muse app and technology there are lots of meditation apps out there there's guided uh, and whatnot that you can check this one out though at choosemuse.com friends thank you for tuning in this self-helpful podcast was founded through the Zig Ziglar Corporation. If you're a coach or consultant and want to add credibility and clients and impact to your business, go to ziglar.com. Hey, this podcast exists to help you find and understand the guidance and counsel that will help you elevate your personal experience of life and the way you show up for others following these sponsors who help make the show possible and provide great resources for your life i bring you my functional friday co-host randy james medical doctor and functional medicine expert and a discussion with muse founder and meditation expert ariel garten on how to truly rest Being a bottled-in bond product means it must pass a list of seven requirements that set the standard for this quality bourbon. So look for it at your local store. Heaven Hill reminds you to think wisely and drink wisely.
1: Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care.
0: Well, Ariel, I mean, we're going to talk about the muse, talk about meditation. But to me, as I look at you overall and, you know, do my social media trolling and talk to your agency and look at everything, it looks like for you, it's a vehicle. It is a tool, but it's just uh, part of a bigger effort that you have. I mean, you speak and you communicate with audiences worldwide. How would you summarize your personal pursuit in this health and wellness space?
1: Sure. So my pursuit in life is really to help people understand that the stuff that goes on in your head doesn't need to rule your life. So we're all bombarded by thoughts of, oh, I'm not good enough. This didn't go badly. They don't like me by negative thinking, by frustrations that just repeat themselves over and over in our heads. And we can often make a prison out of our lives by what goes on in our own minds. And so my mission is really to help people understand that the contents of your mental space is something that you can have dominion over, something that you can have control over, something that you can actually shift and change so that you can live the happy life you want to. You don't need to be ruled by the thoughts in your mind.
0: Sounds like that. What is the quote? Don't believe everything you think. Um, (laughs) Yes. So pithy, but yeah, it does. It feels like just from a natural aspect that we just think what we think. We may try to not behave accordingly, but... I don't, yeah, it's not something you grow up with thinking you have control over your thoughts. And yet we hear so much content about the reality that I don't know what the stat is. You know, 80% of our thoughts are negative, uh, for one, and that you're saying we can, reprogram our brains in essence, which that is what I look at meditation as, you you know, on that, I mean, as you know, full well, and I think we're come come a long way with meditation, not being just couched in the spiritual hoodoo guru guru realm, but I'll still ask you to speak to that because I still know there's a lot of people who, when they hear the word meditation, it has that feel to it. Do you make any effort to try to separate that and say, hey, even if you're not on a, medita- or on a spiritual journey, in essence, you're not looking at that, you're just looking to help calm your mind. Do you speak to that separation?
1: Absolutely. So the definition of meditation that I use is meditation is a practice or a training that leads to healthy and positive mind states. So it doesn't have to be a spiritual practice. It's not a weird or woo-woo thing. It is simply a practice or a training that you do regularly that improves your mind. In the same way that you go to the gym for your body, this is a practice that you do for your mental space. And when you look at the research on meditation, there's now well over a thousand published peer-reviewed scientific articles demonstrating meditation's ability to improve multiple areas of our lives to improve our levels of stress and anxiety, to improve our re- attention, to decrease physiological issues in our body, to improve the way that we relate with one another, to improve things like your school or test scores. There's study after study demonstrating the real empirical science that meditation improves our minds and bodies.
2: So, <clears throat> Kevin, that reminds me in Ariel. So here in the clinic, we'll... And we've taken our listeners through that, that there's our kind of our four core areas. And the first one on, of that is input. And most people think when it comes to health, well, sure, nutrition is, is a big part of that. But then the very next thing I will ask or say to people is, well, your ears, so what's going into your ears? And then I'll kind of, you know, slyly look at them and say, what's going on between your ears? What are the noises or the sounds or the messages that you heard 20 years ago as a, as a little girl, as a little boy, or from a father, from a husband, from a worker, or something like that, that is, and that message, like you alluded to earlier, is a part of your input that you are taking in, and so often subconsciously, every day, that can become a prison on the negative side, or on the positive side can become a wonderful part of life.
1: There are so many messages that we received in childhood that we don't recognize that just swirl around in our minds or actually form the foundation of our thoughts as a set of limiting beliefs. And so when you're finally able to stop and actually listen to what your mind is saying and then be able to make some objective choices, you know, is this what I want my brain to be saying? Is this true about the world? Is this true about me? When you're able to separate yourself from your thoughts To be able to, through the practice of meditation, simply observe your thinking Mm -hmm. and then be able to step back and say, hey, do I want to take my mind there now? Do I want to think this thought path again or no? Do I want to make a different choice? Do I want to take my brain elsewhere? When you finally do that, you have the unbelievable recognition that the stuff that you learned before doesn't need to be true for you today. It is both very liberating and incredibly empowering.
0: Yeah. You, I read somewhere amongst my researching of you that you talked about using meditation as a tool to, and I had this in quotes, to, you, uh, to challenge maladaptive or unhelpful beliefs and thought patterns. And I read something also about you and your own journey through some childhood and about kind of rewriting your past. I, again, I don't think that that's something that people hold in context with meditation, that it's something I do to rest my mind but not to reprogram my mind. I mean, again, in my context, that's not where I've generally seen it. And yet I I hear you talking about it. And that's a big, that's a huge asset towards meditation that I'm not used to hearing about.
1: So why don't I start by actually just describing a very simple form of meditation, and then you can see how it can lead to this sort of reframing of your brain. So the most basic form of meditation that people learn is a focused attention meditation. And in focused attention meditation, you put your attention on your breath. And then as soon as your mind wanders away from your breath, you choose, instead of following that wandering thought, to bring your attention back to your breath again. So it's a very simple process. You attend to something neutral, your breath, mind wanders away. Oh, there's a thought. You can then say, nope, not following the thought. I'm coming back to my breath. Now, in that moment that you choose to not follow your wandering mind to think about the grocery list or what's for dinner tomorrow or that fight you had with your husband or why you're a bad person or whatever, in that moment when you choose to take your mind off of that thought and bring it onto something neutral, that's where the fundamental moment of transformation takes place. Hmm. It's in that moment that you are now able to actually have choice over what you are thinking, have choice over the contents of your own mind. Most of us just go through our life on autopilot. Mm -hmm. We just go through our lives assuming that the thoughts in our head are supposed to be there and the things that it says about the world are the way it is, the things it says about me is what I hear and that's what it is. But when you for the first moment say, nope, I'm not going to follow that thought. I don't need that to be replaying in my mind. I don't need that in the contents of my mind right now. You are fundamentally choosing where you put your mind. And then once you do that, the next thing you typically realize is that you are not your thoughts. You don't have to have the stuff swirling around your head. And then if you are not your thoughts, then all the things that your thoughts have told you about you, you can also have some choice over. All of the ways that they have just naturally programmed your behavior, you can have some choice in. You don't need to follow the course of them. And that's when you can begin to really make change in how you see the world. And as you're doing this on a cognitive level, you're also doing this on a neuronal level. Because as we replay these old stories, we're simply replaying the firing of neurons that happens when you wander down that thought path. And when you start to play new stories in your mind or stop replaying the old ones, you start literally changing the wiring of your brain. So these are the ways in which you can use tools like meditation to literally repattern your brain to go over content that actually is much more relevant and meaningful to you in the here and now than the stories that you had about yourself when you were a kid
2: that I, i'm getting excited about that that is because everything that we talk about is related to <clears throat> change how do you be becoming a better version of yourself and the biggest hamper to that is ourselves and we all have these phrases like like you had mentioned the one before or the famous one of you know you have to get out of your own way or get out of your own head but the fact is that most people keep doing what they have done yesterday keep thinking what they thought yesterday and they're subconsciously not aware of it and therefore it just keeps happening. And we are all, it, it, it makes change harder. And so now you're saying, well, here's through meditation and and I did want to have one question there specifically related to the muse and thinking about how you guys developed this. And so as we're talking about patterning and rewiring and that kind of thing. Did you guys with this tool also connect it with functional MRI or PET scans or uh, the QEEG or things like that? Do you also see changes in those areas, functionally speaking or physically speaking?
1: Sure. So in terms of how meditation helps you make this change, and then I'll link it to the next question. So what meditation really allows you to do, one of the first steps is to observe the process of your own thinking. So if you don't know what's going on, you can't make a change. So with meditation, what you're doing is you are observing your thoughts and observing the movement of your mind. And typically we're just caught up in them. With meditation, you learn a process called metacognition, where you're able to learn how to see those thoughts. And that's a process that uses your prefrontal cortex, the part of your brain to allow you to have a governance or an observation of your own thoughts. What we do with Muse is we make the process of observing your thinking easier. So what we're doing is we're actually letting you hear your own mind, hear when it's focused and to hear when it's wandering. So we use uh, EEG neurofeedback to actually sonify your brain activity. So you can hear when you're in focused attention on your breath. And then every time your mind wanders to a thought, the sound picks up. So that becomes a cue that, oh, you are on a wandering thought. So it makes it much more obvious to be able to observe your thinking, to observe when the thoughts happen. And then you can make better choices. You can say, okay, I'm not going to follow that thought. I'm going to come back to my breath. And then when you're in the real world, what that biofeedback has done is it really trains you to be able to see when you're thinking. It trains you to be able to catch your distractions. It trains your metacognition even more strongly. In terms of looking at these results in uh, other devices, it's very hard to do EEG and MRI simultaneously. Um, That's a very, very complex task, though we do have a lot of people who use Muse as a clinical neurofeedback tool and use it alongside things like QEEGs. So um, those kinds of crossover studies have been looked at. And then we have a lot of research looking at Muse meditation functionally um, as a meditation tool with a number of different conditions, as well as um, Muse as an EEG used by neuroscientists.
2: Sorry, is it connected to HRV as well, the heart rate variability?
1: So with Muse, you can also see your uh, heartbeats. So we have a PPG sensor on the Muse, and as you breathe in, you see your heart rate increase, and as you breathe out, you see your heart rate decrease. So with both Muse 2 and Muse S, you're actually able to see your heart rate and look at the changes in your HRV, which is the difference in the beat-to-beat interval um, Mm -hmm. of your – and to see the changes in your HRV, which is the difference in your peak uh, heartbeat versus your slowest heartbeat on each breath.
0: exclusive to podcast customers you will also receive a free three-year warranty on any unit which is an additional $84 value so to get the special deal go to a-i-r-d-o-c-t-o-r-p-r-o.com use promo code kevin thankfully the days of building a business website then having this massive endeavor to integrate an online store are gone today shopify has fixed all that And I, and I did, I appreciate, I appreciate the view so much. I have meditation is not my strong suit. We talk about it a lot. I I wondered when that
2: was going to come up. I know, I know we
0: we look at me and I want to hit on, you know, our current, I was saving that one. That was going to, thanks. I was (laughs) trying to beat you to the punch so I could take credit for it. Um, You know, looking at our current, uh, gosh, the, the rise in depression and despair and apathy and anxiety and all these things over here, you know, is one aspect. But then I live in this world of, and we do, you know, of high achievement and and trying to make things happen. And even in there, I want to do, I want to produce. That's my happy place. That's my, it's my security. It's my self-image even. And that's that's all I know how to do. So to stop, I don't want to stop. I would rather not sleep. I'd rather, but then I know the value. And so I, my first experience was actually with Johnny Pollard uh with uh he's got the one giant mind app and he talks through just what you talked about that um that focused attention meditation it's very very difficult for me to stay on focus and to come back you know when i get derailed and that's of course the beauty of Muse that it's just telling me there I can hear it uh, and it's going you're, you're you're going off and and I can come back down it made it it made it easier it made it a lot more palatable a lot more tangible so yeah it sounds like and I, I wrote this down you said the moment of transformation when we're trying to do that that you guys just harnessed tech to do that and did I see somewhere also that the method or not the method methodology but the the Muse itself. Was born from there was a, an effort to do something else, like something else was being looked at for you know brain cognition or, or measuring, and it was along that that you realized, oh, we could use this for meditation. Is that right?
1: Yeah, actually, we started with the creation of Muse. So, my own background is in neuroscience and psychotherapy. And we started working in the lab of Dr. Steve Mann. He's one of the inventors of the wearable computer. And he had this early brain computer interface device that we started to use to think about how you could interact with yourself and technology. So, we would create musical experiences where by shifting your brain state, you could actually make music change or you could make a light bulb glow brighter as you were focusing. Right. And we recognize that as we are teaching people to focus and relax, to try to make the light bulb glow or to try to make the sound get louder and quieter we were doing something really fundamental. We were teaching people when they were focused and relaxed. Mm -hmm. We were actually giving people this real-time feedback about what was going on in their own minds and that we could take this technology and we could apply it to a place where people are trying to figure out what goes on in their minds, but it's really hard. And that's the practice of meditation. You know, when most of us sit down to meditate, we sit there and our brain starts to bounce around the place and we don't really know what we're supposed to be doing. Or if you know, it's still a difficult process because you're thinking about the grocery list. You're like, all right, I'm supposed to be meditating back to my breath, back to my breath. And we realized that we could make that invisible process really tangible and audible. So there'd be like literally a little guru sitting inside your head telling you when you were meditating and when you were not and encouraging you to come back to your breath. And so that's how Muse was born with the recognition that we had a technology that could actually make meditation easier.
2: So can, can you help me understand because we have a lot of patients that will, through the lens of some of the common pathologies with insomnia or anxiety or depression or TBI, or sometimes early dementia, MCI. Mm-hmm. And uh, I've worked closely with a, a neurofeedback specialist in, the, in Colorado Springs, and so they're using a QEEG, and then, and so help me understand, because I, I'm always a little bit frustrated with those guys, because on one hand the patient is sitting there having a brain or a, an electrical wave input to try to effect a change, and that might be well and good, but from a functional medicine standpoint, and what I want to share with the patient is you have control over this to some degree. And so that metacognition, that awareness, and that bringing myself back. And, and so what you guys were just saying, what you were just saying about, we realized that if people could refocus Am I right in saying that we as people do have some control over that and by exercising this so-called muscle of meditation that we can be doing the same thing that this very expensive machine over here, if it's putting alpha, beta, theta, delta waves into the head or are those things, are they two separately, completely not related
1: issues Sure. I'm happy to explain the difference between them. So, if you go for a traditional neurofeedback session, you're going to be hooked up to a bunch of electrodes that will go into a computer, and that will be doing a QEG, looking at your overall levels of alpha, beta, theta, and delta waves. Right, that's reading across. your brain. Yeah, the reading signals your brain coming waves.
2: off, right? Okay.
1: And then it'll look at your brain. It'll do what's called a Z-score. It'll look at your brain relative to a normal brain and say, well, in what areas of the head might your alpha waves be low? Or might you have too much delta activity relative to normal? And then it's going to give you a feedback experience. Maybe it might be like a bouncing balloon on the screen. And as you're able to get into a zone where you're now decreasing your delta activity or increasing your alpha, whatever the clinician decides your brain needs, you'll see the balloon move on the screen. And that will become the reward that will subconsciously, literally subconsciously teach your brain that this is what it needs to be doing. And the more the balloon is up on your screen, the more the delta waves are coming down, the more your brain activity is normalizing relative to This normal brain in a QEG. And studies have demonstrated that to be efficacious, particularly in cases where people have things like ADHD. ADHD neurofeedback has um, been shown to be, in some cases, as successful as drugs with long lasting effect. What we're doing is a very specific form of neurofeedback. So we're not doing a whole head, what should your brain look like relative to the normal, because we're not here to define what a normal is. What we're doing is we're looking at your brain, whether it's in focused attention versus mind wandering, which is the core exercise inside of a focused attention practice. So what we're looking at is, do you have a brain pattern that is the, indicating that you're in focused attention or have your brain shifted indicating that your mind is starting to wander and think about some other thought? And so we notify you when your mind is wandering, building that metacognition. And then that is your cue to bring yourself back to your breath, onto your focused attention. And then we reinforce you for staying in focused attention. So what we're doing is we are reinforcing reinforcing your focus, your meditative state. And we are cueing you to build greater metacognition. And so this very quickly teaches you the act of meditation. It teaches you to observe your mind, to notice when your mind is wandering, and to want to stay in this focused attention state. And then after that, we give you charts and scores and things that show you what your brain was doing moment to moment and a motivational architecture that makes it really engaging to want to do this activity every day so you can build the habit of meditation. And then you take the skill that you've learned through meditating, mindfulness, and you bring it into your everyday life.
2: Into life. Will that... Type of trained focus attention will people also be able to change? Let's say six months later they do another Q, another QEEG. Will we see some differences there?
1: Yes, I mean you've been training your brain to do something specific, and you will see that um, effect in your brainwaves. Yeah.
2: And does Muse have studies in subsets of these? pathological diagnoses in these areas for insomnia or for ADD or ADHD or those kind of things. Are you guys doing clinical trials down, down those pathways?
0: Friends, I'm pretty candid about my lack of financial prowess. Money and numbers are fairly Greek to me. So I need a lot of guidance. One of my closest friends is a wildly successful wealth manager, and I'm working on some financial literacy and just continually seeking guidance. So I ask you to check out yahoofinance.com. Yahoo Finance.com.
1: So Muse is not an FDA uh, regulated device for any particular disease. So, you know, I can't comment specifically, right. but Muse has been in over 200 published studies and, um, One of the ones that came out recently was from the Mayo Clinic. They looked at breast cancer patients awaiting surgery, and they used Muse during the cancer care process to decrease the stress of surgery, the study demonstrated, as well as improve their quality of life and decrease their fatigue. Um, In another study that was done at the Baycrest Hospital, average individuals using Muse uh, for 10 minutes a day for six weeks were able to improve Very self-reported physical markers like headache, pain, and nausea, um, as well as increase their calm and increase their cognitive function, as shown in a strip task. Um, We also currently have studies undergoing in the area of OCD. We have quite a number of sleep studies going um, through MUSE-S. Um, We have... Pain studies going, fibromyalgia, additional cancer studies. There's like literally dozens of institutions that are using these in multiple conditions whose results we should be getting shortly. Sure.
0: I wanted to ask a couple things. One, when you talked about, or we talked about kind of that rewriting your past and some of the stories that you tell, I don't know, it was a couple of years ago that we did a first telomeres test mm-hmm. and, and got, you know, got our results back and we did it with the staff and we're looking at all these and it was just difficult to reconcile uh, especially some of the low scores. It was di- difficult to reconcile and we actually ended up talking with the, I don't know, he was the head
2: doc or something. Uh, I think he was the CMO, the chief medical officer
0: of the company that we had done the test through and just asking him about that. And one of the things that he, they talked about is one of the most uh, Gosh, a, a primary culprit in a bad score was an ACE score, an adverse childhood experience score. And I heard that. and I thought, well, how do you change, change whatever happened back there happened back there? And if that's something that damaged, you know, now the length of your telomeres, how do you deal with that? I mean, to what level do you think we can go back and in, in addressing those childhood traumas? Through meditation, through through some other things, and actually increase that ACE score—is that possible?
1: That's really interesting. So, you know, the ACE score looks at the adverse childhood um, adverse childhood events, and they also look at the resilience of an individual. So, there are some people who have a. You know, significant A score because they had a number of adverse childhood events, but they are able to build the qualities of resilience required to get themselves mm-hmm. over it. And meditation does teach you a lot of the skills required to build resilience. When you look specifically at telomere studies, uh, the one of the most famous ones was actually the first and most famous one was done by Elizabeth Blackburn. She is a Nobel Prize-winning scientist, and um, Alyssa Eppel. And what they did is they looked at moms who were caring for chronically ill children. So these moms were incredibly stressed. Their kids were chronically ill and not getting better, and they taught part of the group meditation and part of the group as a control. And they looked at their telomeres and what they discovered was that these moms who had learned meditation actually saw an improvement in the length of their telomeres. So telomeres can be shortened both by adverse childhood effects, as well as by stress and through a simple short-term meditation intervention, these women who were still stressed, who were still in the same terrible, you know, frustrating situation of caring for an incredibly ill child they nonetheless were able to improve the length of their telomeres because they shifted the way they perceived the event. And the seminal paper that Blackburn and Apple wrote really highlights the fact that it was a change in their cognition and perception that led to a change in their telomeres. And by seeing themselves as in a situation where they were having a challenge, where there was something difficult happening, but they were just having a challenge that they could rise to, they were able to shift their negative perception about the event so it was no longer happening to them. They were no longer at the mercy of it. It was no longer a terrible thing. And that shift in negative perception to one of a uh, more positive open perception actually filtered down through their cellular melia. That's the language the paper says. And that shift in mental state actually changed the cellular chemistry, which could make it a more appealing and healthier place and allow for activation of telomerase, which is the enzyme that rebuilds telomeres. So, you know, the power of meditation is really significant.
0: Well, You're barking up my alley here. And it's interesting that, you know, it's, it is around moms. We have, I have a son who's actually across the Wall here from us. He works here at the practice now at age 25, but at, at five days old and uh, till he was about 12. We spent a lot of time in the hospital and had a, had a chronically uh, ill kid and it, sorry, the impact on my wife far more than me because of how we perceived it and because she's the mom and that connection and yada yada has been so significant. So I just marked down the time here. I'm going to get, get her to, to listen to this because I think she will hear some hope in that because it has always been so impacting to her and when you talk about stress talk about calm and then that also focused attention so whether you're stressed and you'd like to calm yourself or you are you know scatterbrained and you like to have focused attention i mean you guys have both talked about training your brain the muscle of meditation it made me think about you know every action adventure we 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 do pull-ups a lot we got pull-up bars here in the in the thing and talking about we want to be a 90 year old guy we need to be doing them now so we do that and have the kids do that and there's not an action adventure movie that happens and at some point somebody's not hanging on a windowsill or hanging on a cliff. And I say, guy, see guys, it's all about grip strength. You know, we all got to have that ready for you. And I'm thinking, you know, what about my mind control strength? Do I have the ability in that stressful situation to calm? Because as you, as you talk about, I have not been working that muscle out or to when I need to prep for something here at work or show up for a show like this and something crazy's happening in life. Can I boom, Come back down to focused attention. That is not. I think I, I probably grit my teeth and I'm able to sum up the you know strength to do that. But that's not the healthy way to do it. That's the stressed, burnout way to do it. As opposed to, can I be you know training myself with the muse here so that I have that ability to boom on the spot? <sighs> I want to. I want to be that guy.
2: Well, and also those. Um, so dr blackburn 's book was very influential in uh, for me too, and, and I remember that study and just the the marvelous statement that you can control some of your, some of your cellular physiology and even your genetic uh, state with your thoughts and I think, though, if you went to Mrs. Smith, the woman who has the child and is in the moment, and the hard part about that, Kevin, is that she, you know, the studies, they did the questionnaires throughout it, and then they made their conclusions later on, but in the heat of the moment, she may or may not be able to say, oh, my gosh, I feel so much better because I'm meditating every day. Um, so, so people don't perceive it. I mean it's hard you've never seen an action movie where Tom Cruise sits there and he thinks really hard <laughs> for with with his muse on at, you know and so people and have this pers-
0: it gave him the strength to withstand that moment with better What well, He
2: already has been doing yeah. that. Like you mentioned the the resilience that yeah. you are building or that or that is crumbling through the lack of that muscle memory and those muscle pull up or mind pull up so to speak is going to be evident at the next challenge, the next crisis. The crisis the the opportunity to rise to it or the opportunity to fall victim to it. So it's hard in the moment where we are, and and you and I talk about it every day. It's easier to do five seconds of pull-ups than it would be to do a minute or two or three on a consistent basis of doing our mind pull-ups. Yeah. And,
1: and that's the, why you need to do it regularly. And that's and that's like really news. the punchline of all this. Yeah. You know, you have to build a regular practice. You know, the shifts that we're talking about, being able to really shift your mind and your body and your it, potentially your chemistry. Those don't happen by meditating once or twice, you know, in the same way that you're not going to lift 50 or 100 pounds at the gym on your first try. But if you go regularly and you build the practice over time, these skills build and over time, these insights happen. And over time, you're able to, you know, look back at the fabric of your life and see the change. And that's why it's really key to like build a practice and to do a thing in such a way that it's going to be amenable to you. And for somebody for whom, you know, 10 minutes of meditation seems like an impossibility. And if you've never meditated before, it's really hard to meditate for 10 minutes. You want to just start at one or two minutes, but you want to do it consistently every day and build the habit. And then you want to expand it. You want to try to do it at the same time every day because that helps you in the habit formation. And then over time, you will start to bit by bit, see these changes unravel and unfold in your life.
0: Ariel, what if, when we talk about crisis, I mean, here we are, and I'm sure you've been asked this so, so often recently, it's got to feel, to me it does, like we're at a higher anxiety level, uh, crisis, stress, than I've experienced, at least you know globally in my lifetime, and have you found yourself, I, I mean, what's happened even with Muse sales, have they, have they increased, are people focusing on it more, are you being called on more to say, oh my gosh, we're, we're reaching critical mass here. Uh, what do you have to offer us?
1: We have definitely seen an increase in Muse sales, an increase in Muse usage. People who, you know, all of a sudden were taking out their Muses and using them each and every day, yeah. like they should have been the whole time. But now it's like, okay, now it really matters. I'm really going to get on my meditation practice because I need it. And we've been hearing back from people more and more how the practice has helped them get through it. Hmm. And we've even created, you know, specific content. We have a a suite of guided meditations, hundreds of them for whatever comes up in your life. And for us and for meditators in general, what we've discovered talking to people is that when you have a meditation practice, this time seems easier. And that's something that I've heard over and over talking to people who meditate, um, as opposed to people who don't meditate, because in meditation, you learn a couple of key skills. One is acceptance And that's like, that's a huge one. That's not something you learn on day one of meditation, but what you build over time is a sense of acceptance for what happens. And so when you're not in tense relationship with what's going on, when you're not you know holding on desperately to the past and wondering, oh my God, where did it go? And when will it be the same again? When you're able to accept what's going on, you're able to far more readily adapt with it and move with what's happening with grace and ease and positive momentum, rather than trying to hold on to what was, which causes tremendous amounts of tension and keeps you from adapting. Another thing that we've heard is, and one of the real things that meditation teaches you is to deal with fear. And so a lot of people, if you don't have a tool that helps you deal with the overwhelming anxiety and fear that is created by these situations, it can be very easy to simply be in fight or flight and simply just be afraid all the time. Whereas when you have tools that help you manage the sense of fear and the sense of anxiety that can then let you see clearly the course of action that actually keeps you safe, it becomes a game changer. So I know for me, my meditation practice has been key to saying, okay, there is real danger out there. Um, I don't need to feel afraid this moment because that's not serving me. You know, I know the actions I can take to make myself safe and this fear is not actually helping me. And so I can bring in meditation practices that, you know, downregulate my autonomic nervous system, that allow my muscles to relax, my blood vessels to dilate again, my amygdala to chill right out, and to be in a much greater state of homeostasis when there is real danger, but I don't need to react with fear. So, I mean, to me, that's been one of the most tremendous lessons of meditation in the time of pandemic.
2: Yeah, I keep coming back to the word in my mind, resilience, that, you know, we, we value resilience, but our culture, our society, we don't value the, the time, the work, the commitment that it takes to be building that resilience day in and day out. And that brings up one of the, the questions that we wanted to ask you is, uh, one of the foundations of resilience is sleep. And. Now you've got the, the muse S. So how did that come about, um, from your, what led you down that pathway? Was it people having trouble more falling asleep or staying asleep or both is the S helping people on both ends of that in the uh, kind of insomnia? Well, and, and I want to
0: to what we just talked about again, with the pandemic and everything, I figure we've got to be, ha- have had a, a dip again in sleep People have more anxiety, more stress, less likely to go to sleep. So my thought is a a much bigger need for something like that, a sleep aid, in essence.
1: Yeah, and sleep has definitely become more of an issue as a result of the pandemic, when people are stressed and when they have anxious thoughts and it's those anxious thoughts that keep them from sleeping. The reason we built MuseS in the first place is that we were hearing from our user base that one of the most common use cases for Muse after it had taught them to meditate or deepen their meditation practice, would be to help them fall asleep. And actually, one of our most common times for people to use their Muse was at 10 p.m. They'd do a meditation because it would help them fall asleep. And they would tell us things like they were finally able to sleep. They'd sleep through the night. They no longer noticed that their husband even snored because they were actually just asleep for the whole night again for the first time. Um, and so we recognized that there was a huge opportunity to really help people with a new tool. So what Muse S is, it's a comfortable, soft headband that you can actually fall asleep in. And it gives you guided meditations to help you fall asleep that we call our sleep journeys. And it's paired with a soundtrack that's actually built from your whole body. So both the Muse 2 and the Muse S have sensors for your brain, your heart, your breath, and your body. And in the guided sleep meditations, what we're doing is we're building you a soundtrack. So you're actually hearing the beating of your heart like the chirp of crickets or your breath like the lap of waves. And so the soundtrack actually slows as you do. So as you start to fall asleep and your heart rate slows down, the music actually slows down, the beat starts slowing. And then we actually entrain your heart's rhythm so that it slows down even more in a way that's designed to help you fall asleep faster. So in the same way that you might have had somebody read you a bedtime story and they'd, you know, watch you. And as your eyes began to flutter close, they'd quiet their voice and, you know, close the book as you were asleep. The Muse can actually track you as you're falling asleep and encourage you even more deeply into sleep. So it's been completely amazing. Mm -hmm. We actually have a new feature coming out in a few months sleep trackings. You will get unbelievable high quality EEG tracking throughout the night. Mm -hmm. So you can see all sorts of details about your sleep. Um, And so it's really an amazing tool both to help you fall asleep and to understand your own sleep patterns and your rhythms.
0: Well, and thinking about falling asleep, and that's where I—that's where I took it. That's where my mind went. Okay, that would help. But my thought now, as you're talking about that, is it's one thing to go to sleep. I, I don't have a hard time going to sleep, you know. But that may be because I'm falling in bed over exhausted and just crash, and my mind is still in a tumultuous state. That if I use this, regardless of my ability to fall asleep or not, or insomnia or not. What's the state of my mind? I got to think that if I'm doing that, the quality of my sleep is by proxy going to increase exponentially.
1: So that's one of the things that we've seen. We now have this virtual 24 hour cycle. So when you meditate during the day, you learn to calm your mind and calm your body and focus your mind. When you lie down to go to sleep. You then do another meditation that because you've learned the skill of calming your mind is able to calm it much faster. So it's not swirling around. You're able to calm your body much faster. You're now asleep in a state that has a lot less cortisol whizzing around because you've fallen asleep more relaxed. You're then able to sleep more effectively through the night, wake up more refreshed. When you sleep better, you have better cognitive and better emotional control. Which makes the next day easier, which makes your next meditation easier, which makes falling asleep the next night easier. So it really becomes this virtuous cycle of being able to, you know, um, keep your body calm and focused both throughout the day, throughout the night to feed you forward into an even better day.
2: On, on the new Muse S and the sleep tracking, I mean, we have a lot of sleep trackers out there these days. So is this one going to also be looking at? you know light sleep and deep sleep and rem sleep stage 1 stage 2 and all of those kind of things um how is it going to come into that is it going to come into that space with similar data markers or are you guys looking at something different
1: so I can't tell you too much about it because it is about to launch and we're going to do you know, all of sure. our big launch. We, won't tell, we won't tell anybody. Yeah. Your, your <laughs> listeners are actually getting like a yeah. really big we'll insight in what I've just said. Um, so it's going to be launching in a few months. It will give you everything that every sleep tracker has, plus a whole lot more. The, okay. you know, think about the kinds of things that you might be getting if you go into a sleep clinic.
0: And, okay. is, well, that, and is that going to automatically just be uploaded to the app and part of the current models?
1: If you have the Muse S, yes.
2: Muse S, okay. I got the Muse S. That's <laughs> no, you don't. <laughs> One of the questions is on, on that within family members. Can can Kevin use the Muse S, and like Terry, have her Muse S pattern if she uses it for a week to kind of see how she's doing with the same instrument.
1: Um, so with Muse 2, everybody can use the same device. So, okay. you know, it's very common that dad or mom will bring it home, the teenage kids start using it, and it goes right. around. Everybody just has their own account on their own phone. Okay. Um, with Muse S, I'm not sure if the sleep function can be shared, but the meditation functions can be shared.
0: Okay. Okay. All right, good. Uh, you know, I was, as I was using this and just, uh, you know, testing it out myself, wondered As I, most days I'm here in the office a good bit, you know, I'll go do my exercise or whatever. Is there, I I found myself wondering, my gosh, I do feel a little amped right now. Is that the time to use it? Or am I going to have a harder time calming down? Am I better to, you know, sit down at my desk, chill out a little bit before that, and then use it. So kind of a methodology during the day, or is it just not matter? Do you just say, Hey, it doesn't matter. You're better off to set a certain time. I know that with the app, you can set reminders that come at certain times and just do it. Don't pay attention. Should you pay attention to your current mental state before doing it to get the most out of it? Is that a fair question?
1: Totally great question. So the first thing is, if you're paying attention to your current mental state, then it's working. This is great. You know, what meditation is doing is it's getting you to self-reflect. What is my state? You know, am I feeling amped? Am I feeling calm? Am I feeling focused? Now, this is really good information for you to use. Am I feeling you know, far too sleepy before I'm going into a meeting where I need to be on and I now need to do something to ramp myself up? Am I feeling far too ramped at a time when I want to be calm? Mm. So the first step is awareness and that is awesome. And then you can do the meditation anytime in any state because it doesn't matter what your score is. You're not doing this to try to get a great score. What you're doing this for is to try to teach yourself how to shift where you're at when you need to. So if you're feeling amped and you that's not necessarily what you want to be doing or at the state you want to be in great. Do it when you're amped, it will teach you the skill of shifting yourself from amped to something else.
2: Okay. That's good. That that makes sense. Um, a lot of your language <clears throat> crosses over with, um, Annie Hopper and wired for healing and her DNRS is, is, is this and, um, uh, I don't I'm know huge if. am
1: a Hopper fan, so I, I know all about okay, what you're Okay,
2: that. good. So, yep. down down that pathway, um, where. So, it seems to me like it would make sense that Muse can be a tool within the DNR. That's what DNRS is. You're retraining okay, you your You've got to do layman's terms. The, the dynamic neural retraining system, kind of what Ariel's been saying. How do you retrain your brain? If you tend to have a PTSD-like memory that sends you into an amped phase, or more people would say, I'm freaking out, I'm a panic attack, I'm anxious, I'm fearful, I'm those kind of things, number one, be aware of that, be able to see that, step back, look above, don't chastise yourself from these thoughts, but then be developing the tools to say, I don't have to stay fearful and freaked out, I can be becoming more calmed, down this kind of a respond
0: versus react aspect too.
2: Um, yeah,
1: yeah. So that's uh, I would say DNRS and Muse are both complementary. They fill slightly different roles. With DNRS, you're specifically retraining yourself around a phrase, so there's a language component in it. Um, whereas m- with meditation. You are training yourself into the noticing of your mind in a state. There are two different skills that you're learning. Um, I love Annie and, you know, she has a muse and we've definitely talked about how the two could be uh, cooperative in methodologies. Right. And if you have, you know, chronic fatigue syndrome or fibromyalgia or chemical sensitivities, you know, DNRS is really amazing for specifically getting into the issue and the thing that you're afraid of and or avoiding and targeting it. And they're complementary because both DNRS and meditation work on the level of calming and quieting the limbic system.
0: You know, you just mentioned chronic fatigue and, and fibromyalgia, and I'm thinking you know, we have so many meetings we've had over the years with, you know, specifically with with supplement companies, reps, and and we've been up to visit and tour some of the facilities, and with anything like that, it's so easy to to say, okay, you know, what's it going to help? And they're going to say it helps everything, right? Which I, we hate that response. Come on. You you just can't say that. Even if it will, you can't say it's going to help everything. Everybody wants to say that. However, that said, I mean, I'm thinking about this, even as we talk about sleep specifically, that this is, if we look at sleep to rest us mentally and physically, but then we can still be at unrest mentally to come before our sleep's going to be better. That it's hard not to make this a foundational thing to say, yeah, what will this not help? It will help my you know, gut problems. It will help uh, anything. I mean, everything's run by our mental. I mean, in a sense, it is a, a foundational core issue that
2: I have been continuing well, and, and to miss. At the same time, yeah, and- it won't hurt you. There, there's... There's, there's no harm. There's nope. only potential benefit. You
0: don't have any naysayers. I, you know, meditation absolutely wrecked my life.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I've, I've never heard anyone say that. So we'll say that meditation really is a foundational practice for whatever you're dealing with. Um, and then with each particular condition, you can then get specific in terms of meditation and other methodologies that can help that condition. So in fibromyalgia, for example, we're working with uh, you know, one of those famous pain clinics in the world, probably doing a study with them using Muse for Pain. But what we've done is we've then created an entire course and collection teaching how meditation specifically applies to pain. And it's different than just the focused attention you've learned. The focused attention is the core of it, but then there's a different set of skills and understanding to apply it to pain, for example. Um, that collection will come out once we get through the trial and we, you know, have the the stamp of approval on it. And so, As much as meditation is foundation for everything, you also want to make sure that whatever it is that you're dealing with, you're using meditation plus the methodologies that are most appropriate. So if you have childhood trauma, for example, meditation is so key to helping you deal with the physiological sensations and emotions that come up because in trauma, you become overwhelmed with feeling of the past. You can become so triggered with a sensation and what meditation will teach you to do is to recognize, oh. It's just a sensation. You know, there's nobody in the here and now actually hurting me. They're just feelings, and I can manage through some feelings for a few minutes. It's just a feeling that's happening. I can experience it without creating stories around it. It's fundamental. But you probably also want to be working with, you know, a child trauma therapy specialist or another methodology to help you really unpack the layers and actually solve your specific issue. So it's kind of like meditation gives you the essential core of skills to deal with, Whatever will come up, and then the specializations really help you, you know, hone in and target on the thing that you're trying to help. Which, of course, of adding meditation will help you target even better.
0: I know we're we're about out of time. I have I have a question I want to hit though. Uh, I saw you have a son. How old is he? I do. He's four. He's full, okay, He's he's pretty young. We've got kids. Uh, we we're spanning all age ranges here. But as you look at children and I don't know at what age level. Well, that's the question. Is there an age level where you think this is appropriate and applicable for kids?
1: Start young. There's an amazing study at. Out of the uh, schools in British Columbia, looking at elementary school students who meditate, showing a 15 percent improvement in math scores and a 25 percent improvement in pro-social behavior and decrease in aggression. So, you know, elementary school is a great age to teach meditation skills. I started teaching my son when he was just probably a year old to just breathe deeply. When he wanted something, I want to watch the tablet. Nah, he had to give three deep breaths before he did that. Then he would have to reflect, like, how do you feel? Calmer? That's yes. Great. Good? Yes. And so you, you can start really early. You know, kids can really learn to meditate kind of by sitting there and closing their eyes, starting from age five or six. Um, and there's lots of great kids' meditations uh tools we have an app called meditation studio that actually has meditation specifically for kids Wow! so it's it's never too young but five or six is a good start and it's also never too late we've done studies in geriatric populations with elderly adults teaching them meditation and their 70s and 80s and we've shown great improvements there
2: wow all right so it's not too late for you kevin thank <laughs> you i appreciate that <laughs> i'm I, I feel the urge <laughs> I feel no. I feel inspired. I do too. And and for our kids as well, uh, this is thank you, Ariel. Yeah, I like that idea. You get you get uh, for every uh, minute of
0: screen time, (laughs) (laughs) or or five (laughs) minutes of screen time, you you have to figure a ratio. Meditate for yeah. We'll figure out a ratio. You have to do because we do that with outdoors right now. Hey, this amount of time outdoors, you get some screen time. But meditating, but even that, what you said, just to some deep breaths and to reflect you know even with the older kids journal something you know what's a thought what's a feeling is is great yeah yeah, thank you so much it's um i i am i i'd say i agree i'm excited and inspired just by what you're doing and by the reality of how much we can help or i could say for myself how much with all the good things i'm doing what i'm missing by not investing in this area of health yeah okay thank you ariel such a gift
1: Thank you, my sincere honor and pleasure. Thank you.
0: Thank you to Muse founder and meditation expert, Ariel Garten, for this discussion and guidance. Again, you can check out Muse if you'd like at choosemuse.com. A lot of meditation resources, and I feel it's key to figure out which one suits you best, but you get the overall concept, hopefully. A lot more from the show. Thank you so much for tuning in to the Self-Helpful Podcast, where I strive to help you and me elevate our personal experience of life and the way we show up for others. Stay driven, my friends.